It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post-traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and I am here with Randy Brown. Randy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Where are you in the world? I am in Central Virginia in a little small town called Shipman. Okay. Have you lived in Virginia a long time? Uh, most of my life. Uh, I left uh, long enough to 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 know that this was home and I needed to come back. And, <laughs> uh, and so I've been in Virginia all but a little over a little over a year. I lived in Michigan. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and uh, just introduce yourself. Okay. Um, I am a metalsmith and I make jewelry when I'm feeling up to it. And I have an 11 year old daughter and we are part of an artisan collective here in our County called the heart of Nelson. And we also are surrounded by family and friends who love us. And they're, um, all right here. We have a really great community of folks that, that are, that are right here with us. Do you have a large Um, family? Uh, so I'm the oldest of five. So, and they're all starting to have babies. So it's getting bigger and bigger. Fun. So, yeah. Isn't it. being an auntie great? Oh, it's, I have actually said it's my second favorite title. Um, yeah. Besides mom, it is literally the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. You can spoil them and send them home just like grandchildren. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's a lot of fun. So what kind of work did you do growing up? Uh, So I started out in uh, grocery retail, which was not uh, my favorite thing of all of the things that I've done. (laughs) Uh, And then I got into uh, childcare, worked as a preschool teacher, as a nanny. Uh, That's actually what took me to Michigan. Uh, Family I worked for in Virginia moved and asked me to go with them. Um, And then I got out of nanny, being a nanny in childcare and started working in mental health. And then after uh, doing a, doing a stint in mental health, I did some um, intellectual disabilities and developmental delay uh, services uh, doing uh, my last job was actually in program management. Okay. What did you, what did you do in the mental health community? Uh, I worked actually, we have uh, what is called the children and if I can remember, it's been years, uh, the children and adolescent, uh, it's a child and adolescent hospital actually. Um, And so I did direct care with uh, teens and children. And I worked mostly with the adolescents um, for the two and a half years I was there. just kind of really just, you know, making sure they were safe and they were compliant with the, with the doctor's orders and we had a school on premises that we would go with them to during the day. Um, and so that, that was, um, it's a very interesting two and a half mm-hmm. years. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough job. I know, um, 
people who work in those kinds of facilities and environments have a pretty high burnout. It's can yeah. be pretty rough. I think anyone that makes it beyond like two and a half years is a saint because I personally, I couldn't do it. Just seeing, seeing the struggles and then also just the, the, just the environment itself is just, it's so, it just kind of, you know, feeds on more kind of, we always called them learned behaviors. You know, a child would come in and be kind of, you know, their baseline maybe wasn't as intense as another child's, but they learned the behaviors of the other child. And, and so they would leave with, with something that, you know, wasn't even related to what they came in with. And that was, to me, that was always worse than, than even the, the worst case scenario. Right. You kind of feel kind of, um, kind of hopeless, like, uh, you're, you're just becoming more of the problem rather than the solution. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Randy, you have been on a cancer journey. Um, tell us a little bit about that and kind of start from the beginning. What, when did, when did cancer arrive in your life? Uh, so I was diagnosed in the, in December of 2016 and with breast cancer and, uh, spent 2017 going through my initial treatment, had about five months of chemo. And then, um, I had about a month off and then I had a double mastectomy, uh, and I chose to do what is called aesthetic flat closure, did not have any reconstruction. And then, uh, about a another month, month off. And then I started radiation and that lasted, uh, six weeks, 33 treatments. Uh, and then uh, I had been given the all clear and things were, things were, you know, on the looking up and I was like, all right, I just spent a year fighting for my life. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of kick this, kick this up the next level and, and try to get back a little bit of that. And, uh, and then in, uh, January of 2019, I started having a pain in my left shoulder and just kind of kept pursuing the doctor. Like I, I need some answers. This is not going away. I jumped through all of the hoops. I took the steroid, uh, medication and, um, let's see, steroid medication and then physical therapy and then more steroids. And then finally in July, so seven months, um, I was sent for an MRI and uh, I lit up like a Christmas tree. There was a big old tumor in there. Um, and then once that was tested, I'm surprised it took them seven months to do something more diagnostically. So I, I, I mean, the more that I look back on it, me too, honestly, um, the fact that I had a history of, of breast cancer, but they, you know, in that initial appointment in January, they sent me uh, for an x-ray and nothing showed up on the x-ray. Uh, and I guess that was, they were really convinced that it was a pinched nerve. And so, and I just was like, mm, it's not getting any, like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like, this is not getting any better. I'm doing the exercises. I'm going to physical therapy. I, you know, this is, this is just not okay. Um, and so, yeah. So then the diagnostic, uh, the, she came back from the biopsy on the bone and it was indeed metastasized breast cancer. 
Mm-hmm. So explain this, um, explain this to me a little bit. Um, when you were first diagnosed, is it just called breast cancer or is there a certain type of breast cancer? So it was, um, let's see, I have it written down here, uh, really accessible because I could never remember the, the, I guess the markers that it had, <laughs> um, it was, uh so it was grade two ERPR positive which is estrogen positive HER2 negative uh so it was also clinical grade 2b versus 3a invasive ductal carcinoma carcinoma wow so yeah How did you know that you had breast cancer? What caused you to go in and have it checked out? Uh, So I had a spot on the inside of my right breast that looked like mastitis and a six-year-old. I wasn't nursing. Uh, Most of the women I know that get mastitis are nursing. And so I was like, this just doesn't, uh, just doesn't seem right to me. It grew, it started growing a little bit um, after a couple of months. And so I had a yearly, my yearly physical was scheduled for October and had to, um, had to reschedule for various reasons to November. Uh, when I went in November, I just said, Hey, just wanted to point this out to you and say, is this something, is this something we need to check out? Like what's going on? And she said, well, it honestly looks like an infection. Um, I'm going to give you some antibiotics, but to err on the side of caution, I'm going to send you for an ultrasound. And I said, okay, uh, sounds good. She wasn't worried. Uh, she'd been my, she'd been my primary care doctor for like 10 years at that point. So I was like, well, she's not worried. I'm not going to be worried. And, uh, went for the ultrasound two weeks later and the spot, uh, on my breast, like the spot in my breast was really tiny. Um, but also it felt really big when the doctor was telling me, because he said, I want you to think of a, uh, an inch is 24 centimeters and the spot that we found is 16. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that feels really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they also, as the diet, as the diagnosis continued, they do so many diagnostic processes. And as that continued, they found it in two, in two lymph nodes. And the theory is that one of the lymph nodes was so encased with uh, the cancer that it actually backed up and made what looked like mastitis. Oh, okay. Okay. And had that not happened, um, I probably would have been well beyond stage four before I would have ever felt the lump in my breast. Right. Okay. Okay. So, um, so now where are you in the process? Uh, So I am still metastatic. Uh, My tumor markers are elevating right now, which means we just went, we just, they just started elevating again. And we just went through all of that process, which included this time, it included uh, a bone scan, uh, a CT scan. Um, Those are my two like regular scans that I get about every three months. And because of um, the findings of the CT scan, particularly the spots that I have in my liver, which is the only 
organ that's not bone that is involved, fortunately. Um, but those spots actually have doubled in like the three months since the last CT scan. So we did a liver biopsy. Um, still waiting on, they sent it for, I forget exactly the name of the test, but basically what she's looking for is any mutations in the cancer. Um, but so right now we're actually tomorrow, um, I'll be starting my 12th chemo. Um, be going back to an intravenous chemo. Wow. Wow. So will you, um, if the spots on the liver, are you able to surgically remove those or are those treated with chemo or radiation? So this chemo is a more specific to the spots in the liver, um, as I understand it. And we, there have been no discussion, uh, about, about surgically removing the spots. So I'm, I'm not sure. And honestly, I think if we can avoid that, I would like to, um, you know, it's not radiation and surgery are probably the two things that I'd rather not do right now. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'd like to get, you know, I'd like to give them a try. I'd like to give the chemo a try and see if, see if that'll do its job. Why would you like to avoid radiation? Uh, well, because the last couple of times that I've gotten radiation, it's been, um, it, it's really wiped me out. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I have felt really exhausted by it. Um, it also, uh, radiation hair loss is uh, worse than chemo hair loss, in my opinion. Um, I, so I have a spot in the, like in the top of my skull um, that was radiated. And so I actually had like a, like a triangle of hair that like came out after radiation and it's been like a year and a half and I still only have like two inches of hair in that spot. And so I'm like, oh. uh, this is, this is a little That's obnoxious. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, something about this please. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, the thought of chemo, we have a, our daughter is a cancer survivor. She had leukemia at the age of two and there were some chemo that we would have to remind them that they couldn't let it drip intravenously. They had to push it through a needle because it would eat the tubing on the way in if you dripped it because it was too slow. And so you had to get it through that plastic fast enough that it wouldn't start disintegrating the plastic. I mean, you just like the things, the thing about chemo is you just kind of put that in your mind and you're like, I can't, I can't go there. Right. Right. Well, and it, it, I mean, uh, there's no other way to say it, but it's poison. Um, it is. And, it, and its job is, is to kill the cancer cells. The problem mm-hmm. is, is chemo hasn't been created effective enough that it just targets the bad cells. Um, and my, my first chemo uh, was actually, it, its nickname was the red devil. And it was, yeah, it was, you know, and it was, it was as red as Kool-Aid and the nurses would like have to suit up. up. Yep. And I'm like, you're, you're literally like, you look like you're about to get into a hazmat situation and you are, but I'm, 
I'm letting you put this directly into my veins. Like, what am I, what am I thinking? Yeah. Um, my daughter, my daughter got so sick every time on docs was bad. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can only imagine I, I was fortunate enough that like I was tired and I lost my hair. Um, my appetite, as long as I only ate the foods that didn't make me sick, I was good. Um, and that's kind of, that became kind of my practice was if, if this is making me sick, I'm not going to eat it again. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm only a glutton for so much punishment. Yeah. You know? What was yeah. your favorite, what was your favorite foods when you were on chemo? I'm curious. Uh, so, um, soft scrambled eggs and avocado toast was like my morning breakfast, like every day, uh, which I felt was like the healthiest I'd been eating in a long time. Uh, and so that I also found, and I was actually just talking about this the other day, how odd it was to me. I don't eat salt and vinegar chips, but they kept me from getting nauseous. Like I ate them all the time. It was almost like a pregnancy craving is the only thing I could oh, like interesting. relate it to was I would eat them and they would like keep me from getting nauseous. But now like, I can't stand the smell of them. <laughs> uh, so those and uh, broccoli cheddar soup was such a comfort to me. Like the whole time I would, I would have broccoli cheddar soup. And I actually, at the time was working just down the road from a Panera. So like I'd stop at nice. Panera like two and three times a week and grab my broccoli cheddar soup. <laughs> I, uh, uh, our yeah. daughter was into ramen noodles and Cheetos, but we had another little friend and her craving when she was on chemo was bacon and just the pungency, the smell of bacon, I thought would just throw anybody over the edge. You know, I mean, I love, I love me some bacon, but it is rather pungent, but that's what she wanted. And she ate it all the time. And I'm like, I just was so surprised at that. It's so weird how your taste buds just crave certain things. Right. Oh yeah. No, for sure. Like it was, it was definitely like, I was like, okay, I really don't know why, but, uh, salt and vinegar chips. Yes, please. We're just going for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to invest in all the Miss Vickies I can get. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, um, what do you think um, having cancer has offered you in terms of perspective on life? Oh, goodness. Um, I think the biggest thing is the perspective to enjoy every day um, and to enjoy every moment. I think a lot of times we we're, we're called to live that way. Um, we're, we're supposed to live that way and yet we don't. And, um, and, and yet we don't, we, we often are just kind of, we get into the rut in the routine of life and we're just trying to, trying to get through, um, every day. But what, what I've learned is that there's actually, there really is joy in every day and, and you can find it. And that, that is the biggest, probably the biggest perspective change for me is uh, I'm a big planner and I like to be able to like plan things out. Like I've always been that way, but I'm, I'm learning to be a little more gracious one with myself and then with other people. But also like I, I'm also learning that it's okay to rest. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I feel like, I also feel like uh, the Lord has been reminding me that a lot lately um, is that it's okay. Like it's okay to rest. It's okay. Like he, he created the world in six days, but then he took a day to rest. And, and I think for me, like I didn't do that. Like I like worked all the time and I hustled Mm -hmm. and I had, you know, full-time job and a a small, a small business on the side. And like, it was like, go, go, go like all the time. And now it's, it's definitely a little more, a little more relaxed. Uh, I joked with a girlfriend the other day, I was like, my planner hasn't had this much stuff on it in forever. And I don't know what it's kind of stressing me out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, we see in scripture, scripture is replete with, um, with examples of Jesus resting and, um, and taking time and uh, doing some self care. And yet for us in this Western crazy culture, it almost takes a catastrophic circumstance for us to take stock of that and say, this isn't worth it. Like this, this, I'm, I'm losing out on life while I'm, you know, busy trying to build one. It's, it, it's hard for us to kind of wrap our minds around that in this culture. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I was reading something or I heard something not long ago where it said, you know, we spend, we spend, you know, 35 or 40 years working only to retire and be in retirement for 11 years. And it was like, mm-hmm. the, it's like, why, why do we do that? Like, why, why are we not embracing the, the everyday and, and using our sick days and, you know, we're needing to, um, needing to build up sick days before we can, we can have a day off and spend with our families. When I was going through treatment, we intentionally had a hooky day, like every so Every nice. so often, like no school, no work. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna do something together as a family. Um, and then at the end of my first round of chemo, we went on a small trip and tried to remind ourselves, like, all right, we got this. We're going through this, but there's also like the small joys. Good. We did the same thing. We actually had we took a week and we bookended the trip with friends. And so a couple of friends started the week off with us. And then the end of the week was other friends and just kind of reminding ourselves again that that this was the end of this part of the journey. And we did it and and celebrating that. Yeah. And and so yeah, it was that was super important uh to me that we have a good, a good good memories to come out of that year. Right. And I think you're hitting on something really important, which is, you know, hitting on the short wins, you know, um, the, the small wins, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the winning of the entire, the entire battle, but, you know, I won this piece and I'm going to celebrate it and I'm going to be present for it. And it's so important. So important. What do you think has been the hardest about having cancer? Ooh, um, well, I think, I think for me personally, uh, it's been, well, two things has been one, the changes in my, in my abilities, um, the, the kind of loss of stamina, the loss of, of strength, um, 
And, and the fact that I do have to rest, I have, if I don't, like I schedule myself a day of rest every week so that I can recover from whatever is, whatever's happening or whatever fun thing I've done, I've got to have time to recover from it. Um, so I think that is, is kind of the, like the one, like within myself, like that's the Mm -hmm. one. And then, um, the most difficult part is also just watching, watching the change, uh, in my six-year-old at the time from, I mean, it was almost, I, I can look at pictures and you can just almost see the light in her eyes change, um, and get, and get a little darker. Um, and so that was very, that was very hard for me. Um, and then also my, um, my marriage ended, uh, after about a year after cancer did. Yeah. Mm. So, um, okay. I think those are probably the three, the three okay, biggest I'll things be there. Bye. that, that mm. make it, I you know, the you. negative side of it. <laughs> I think I hear your daughter. <laughs> you do. 11 year old chatty, chatty, Kathy. <laughs> I, I think um, for children, um, understanding a parent's illness uh, is, it's so much to ask of them. They don't understand. And, uh, and they catastrophize easily, and they minimize easily. And so to get clear understanding takes a maturity that they shouldn't have to have yet. Mm-hmm. She, her, in fact, her response uh, when I told her that I had breast cancer, um, was the, and it was very matter of fact, but she said, so you're going to die. Mm. Uh, well, n- no, <laughs> I'm going to need you to hold on a minute. Like that's, that's not, no, mommy's going to fight this. I'm going to, I'm going to take some medicine and make some changes, but I think, you know, I think it's, it's going to be okay. Okay. Wow. Gonna get as a family. Wow. But yeah, that was her, that was her initial reaction. Like very, very matter of fact. So you're going to die. Mm-hmm. No, no, ma'am. Like that's not, I'm not planning on it. Like I, I God might have other things, but I, hold, on, hold on, baby. We're not going there yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, give me some time, please. Yeah. So you are a peer support specialist. What does that mean? So I found an organization through my hospital uh, called Ingerman, I think is how you pronounce it, Angels. And um, this was a young man who was diagnosed at like 25 with uh, testicular cancer. And that apparently resulted in some pretty intense chemo days for him. Uh, He'd literally be there like all day. And um, he had friends and, and he had a huge support system that would come and like, they'd make it like a party so that it was again, kind of building those, those good memories into the bad. And he, in, in the, in his story about creating this organization, he would literally stop in a cubby or where people were setting by themselves and just go, Hey, I'm John. What are you in for? And like make jokes and like develop relationships and, and so I asked my, uh, asked some folks at the hospital, like how I could get involved. And 
uh, and got the certifications that they that they kind of run you through some some very uh, having been in 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 a in a uh, a helping field uh, everything made very much you know sense like setting boundaries and and not not sharing too many details and just letting them know like there we're not comparing apples to oranges like I'm just here to support you and your story is right. going to look different than mine um, and that led me to creating um, uh, an org a, a peer support organization that I call uh, Warrior Artisan um, and the idea is that kind of that same idea of you need support just because you're here by yourself. Um, I felt like the, the, the connection between being an artist and being artistic with having cancer, I really felt like there was this season, at, you know, that whole first year that I just kind of put my art on the shelf. But really what I needed to do was have it in front of me. And, right. and and um, so my my hope and goal is that as I'm walking with folks um, that are diagnosed with breast cancer or any type of cancer that happen to be artists, um, that we can incorporate that into kind of their their journey so that they can. So you put um, craft uh, craft kits or craft opportunities together for patients um, to do while they're inpatient or while they're receiving infusions, right? So uh, yeah, and then I'm also so on top of like those two things, I'm also volunteering at the hospital uh, once a week right now, as long as as long as I can do it once a week and. Um, this month, the little kit that I put together is actually just a little magnet that you color. And so it's the magnet and then a pack mm-hmm. of little mini markers. Um, next month, we're going to do some macrame. Uh, I came across some wooden, um, some wooden, just wooden rings kind of about the size, a little bit bigger than quarter. And I was like, oh, these would make great key, like keychain starters. Like you have the ring and then oh, fine. Uh, do the macrame off of it. So I'm going to try that next month. Um, haven't decided for November, uh, December, we're going to, as a metal Smith, I actually have, uh, some ornaments that I make that I've used as a kind of an intro class for some kiddos, uh, that my daughter actually goes to co-op with where we're homeschoolers. And so, uh, I started teaching at the co-op and so the, uh, one of the classes that we did was, a um, an ornament class and they can do a circle or they can do a, a star or I'm kind of, I want to, I want to try something different this year and, and just, I've been thinking through some different ideas, but so I'm going to do that also at the hospital, like during Christmas. Make it right. ornament. What do you think it means to patients to have someone who has walked and is walking their journey be with them? Um, I think, I think if, if we talked about it, it would be, um, well, what one lady, I will, we did talk about it and she said that it, it made her feel like she had a little less to complain about. And I was like, well, that makes me feel good because I'm sitting here listening to your story thinking I ha- I need to complain a little less. Like, so it was this really great kind of yeah. moment 
you know, you kind of reminded that everybody has their own journey. Um, I think the process in general, um, having somebody come around and, and offer them some crayons or some markers and a magnet, uh, a lady the other day, uh, she goes, this reminds me, I have adult coloring books at home. I could be doing this when I, even when I'm at home. And so it was kind of opening those moments up uh, for them. Yeah, that's cool. So your faith in God has sustained you through all of this. Talk to me a little bit about, about that. What kind of strength that offers you? I think reminding myself um, that he does have me um, in the palm of his hand and even reminding myself that he is always providing for me and taking care of me. Um, I haven't gone hungry. My trash gets taken out. Um, Everything that I have going on is always, is always taken care of. And so we have, we have a huge support system. Um, Like I said, my siblings are around my, my mom and dad, my, um, and then my church family, uh, Actually, if it wasn't if it wasn't for speaking of family, my my daughter is bringing me my niece. Um, <laughs> so um, she uh, so my brother uh, actually this brother uh, came to me one day and said, um, "Why why aren't you in church? Where where do you stand with God?" And I was like, um, I, "I stand very firmly in my faith, friends. Like I'm just not attending church." And he he said, "Hmm," and I said. But if you invited me, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't not go. And um, and so I I did. I went. Uh, that was a Wednesday that he asked me that question. And then on Saturday he texted me and said, "We'll we'll be there in the morning to get you." Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I I I didn't miss a Sunday. Um, I was re kind of reintroduced to friends that I already had. I made new friends. Um, I like to call them my family. They're my friends that became family Mm -hmm. and um, just the, the support that they provided the tangible support of meals and taking out my trash, but also checking on me and making sure that I'm okay. And, and, checking on my mental health and checking on, you know, everything that I could need has been, it it just reminds me that one, he created us for that. Like that's why God created us, not first and foremost to love him, but also to be in community and to be in groups like that. And, and then that he provides that for us, even when we don't realize that, that we, yeah. Well, I have one last question for you and, um, and then we'll wrap up here, but I just wondered, what do you most want your daughter to know about you? Um, I want her to know that I first and foremost wanted to show her the love of God, um, in, in, even in the tough days that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I want her to know that God loves her no matter what. And, um, and then secondly, that I love her beyond measure. Um, mm-hmm. there is not a thing that she could do or say or anything that would change that. Um, and that, that there is strength 
in even in the hard times. Yeah. Um, and so I think those those are the things I want her to know that she has she has some of there there's some genetics to my strength I believe and so I want her to know that she has that as well. Right. You know, we think about our children and we think about, like you said, how powerful that love is and how we would never let them go. And we would, there's nothing that could cause us to separate from them. And then um, we don't, we don't always translate into, oh yeah, that's how God feels about us. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really what, uh, what, what God thinks about, about us. So, well, Randy, I, I just, I thank you for telling your story and um, sharing, sharing everything um, so openly. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts today. You can follow Jill on social media on Facebook and Instagram, JillRiley.author, and on Twitter, JillRileyAuthor. Email Jill at JillRiley.org.